I'm really enjoying going through Romans. Aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so great. And last week, Pastor Roy shared with us a sermon based on Romans 3, remember? That he titled, But Now. But Now. And I love the theological depth and practical um, approach of his sermon. And if for some reason you missed it, well, it's right there in, uh, on, on our website. You're free to go to nwfchurch.com and give it a listen again. So today I have the honor of continuing pastoral teaching and share with you a sermon based on Romans 4. And this is the title of the sermon, The Faith That Really Works. The Faith That Really Works. Works. It's going to be challenging. 25 verses in uh, 40 minutes. Pastor Roy said that he will take only 50 <laughs> last Sunday, right? <laughs> I don't know what was his timing. I'm going to try my best, all right? Um, so after showing us the sinful condition of both Gentiles and Jews and warning us on, of God's judgment on both, just giving you a context um, of the chapter today, Paul continues his argument from chapter 3. Proving through scriptural and historical arguments that the justification of men can only be received by faith and not by religious work. So what really works is faith, not works. All right? That's, that's a foundation. It is not through our works, our good deeds that we get the, the favor of God. No, it's because of, we put our faith on him. It's actually the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the only work that God ever accepted. The work of Jesus on the cross for our sins. When he died on that cross for our sins. And when we put our faith on him, then we are accepted. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are accepted on Christ. Yeah, you are. You are accepted on Christ. So, uh, First of all, it's necessary for us to understand that from Romans 3.21 to Romans 4.25, Paul is speaking of the saving righteousness of God. In chapter 4, Paul explains that people can have a right standing with God only through faith in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Only through faith. Not works. Faith. Maybe some of, some of us come, I don't know, maybe some of us come from... A, Catholics, uh, countries, like I do, from Argentina. You know, even the Pope is Argentinian, <laughs> Francis. And at, um, it, we are used to try to, um, to please God with our good deeds. So it is, basically works like this. I go to Mass or I do good deeds and I follow a couple of rules. And then I believe that I'm in good terms with God. Well, that's not the case. God doesn't want you to be... A worker for him. He wants you to be a son. Yeah? To be children. And you know, your love doesn't depend on your performance. No. It depends on a relationship that he has with you through faith. Because you decided to put your faith on Jesus. So he decided to give you grace. That simple. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday. <laughs> it's that simple. Really, it's that simple. So, to explain and prove the justification of men before God alone through faith, Paul uses, well, the example of Abraham, the father of faith. So, I divided the sermon in two parts. Part number one, we, we, we are starting Romans 4. And you can follow me on the bulletin. You have the outline. You can even fill in the blanks there if, if you want. So, you can bring it home. The first part, 
I put this title. How are we made righteous before God and what does that mean? What does that mean? That we, we have, been, we have uh, been made uh, or, or that God decided to give us his righteousness. That we, now we are righteous before him. What does that mean? Well, our performance, and that's a fill in the blank word, will lead us to pride and arrogance. And you will see that in the very first two verses of Romans 4 that says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Not before God. We can't impress God. Abraham was a man of good works. Do you agree? He was definitely a man of good works. In Genesis, the very first account of Abraham describes him as a religious man. A worshiper of idols such as the moon goddess. But we can't blame Abraham at this point of his story. He did all this out of ignorance. And Paul has spoke about, uh, about this in the, in the very first chapters uh, that Pastor Roy shared with us in chapter 2 and chapter 3. It was in the midst of that condition that God appeared to him and spoke to him. And my brother God wants to appear, appear to you and speak to you. He wants to manifest his presence in your life right now. It was not only for Abraham. Right now. Because I believe that God has promises for each one of us. You know, there is a promise in heaven that has your name. Only your name. It's just for you. Abraham has a great promise. And, and God appeared to him and spoke to him. And Abraham believed in God, responded to his call, and set out on a march without a map. That would be crazy, right? That's faith right there. Could you imagine just get into the car and let's just drive? Where are we going? I don't know. God will, will decide. That's just faith. Bring in all your family. Quitting your job, your career, your profession in uh, Ur. You know, the city of Abraham. That, was, uh, that would be like quitting, I don't know, your law career in, in, in New York. That city was amazing. It was great. It was the center of the world back then. He just decided to quit everything and just follow God. He trusted God to lead him to a land he had never seen before, to take care of his family and to lead, lead them into a place that will fulfill the promises of God. So Abraham appears in the scripture as a man of great works. Look at this. Look at all the works he, he did. But what was the experience of Abraham? Paul says that if Abraham was justified by his works, then he will have something to boast about from the very beginning of the chapter, Paul reveals to us that religion and religious efforts only lead men to spiritual pride. Religion always leads men to spiritual pride. How do I know that I'm suffering of a spiritual pride? Well, number one, you feel like you are better than others. Number two, you come to church not to worship God, but to judge others. Okay, number three, your opinion seems to be the most important one. Spiritual pride. We see that Abraham could have done that, but he didn't. That's, what he was, that's why he was a man of faith. If that will have been the case for, for Abraham, then he will have the right to boast before men. But the Bible says not before God. Because to try to boast before God, well, that is just foolish 
and impossible. How I'm supposed to boast before God? He's the one that, gi- that gives me the strength to do everything I do. It's not me, it's him. So there's no way I can boast before God. Abraham does discover early in his life one way of gaining a sense of significance. And this is something that we all need. Say with me, significance. Significance. Okay? Now turn to your neighbor and, says, and say, importance. Yeah? And then self-respect. There you go. <laughs> These three things, significance, importance, and self-respect, we all, need, we all need that. And we try to gain that, to obtain that through our performance. That's why we go to college. That's why we, we get educated. And that's, there's nothing wrong on that. But sometimes we just try to show the world that we can. So we are depending on our performance. We are depending on what we have. We are depending on the good status of our family. Or how big is our house. Or what car we, we drive. Performance. Works always give you something to boast about before men. But never before God. God is never impressed by our performance. In fact, God who sees the heart is not looking at, out, at uh, outward performance. He knows what is going on inside our hearts. And Jesus explained this to his disciples. He said, you know what, guys? It's not about the way you look. It's about what is inside your heart. Be like, be like children. Be innocent. Just goof around. Just play. Just come. Come to my presence. You know? Let's have uh, a relationship. Not trying to impress anybody. That's what the Pharisees used to do. Trying to impress everybody. The Bible says that, that when the Pharisee uh, used to, to go to the synagogue, they used to pick the first uh, chairs. And they used, you know, to pray all loud. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the motivation was bad. They did it because they wanted to be recognized like spiritual men. So spiritual pride doesn't work. We can't impress God. The sense of righteousness that results from our performance before men never lasts. It is just temporary. And it will always let us down in the hour of crisis. Don't rely, don't rely on your performance. Rely on God. Put your, put your hope in God. It is only the righteousness, and that's a fill in the blank word there, that comes from God that is lasting and will work. Not only in time, but for all eternity. That is what Abraham discovered. He discovers that it's not about him. There's nothing special on him. It is about my God who called me. It is about this amazing God who had called my name. Our faith also leads us to righteousness before God, says verse 3 of Romans 4. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. Here Paul is quoting Genesis 15:6. In this verse, there are three very important words that I want you to, to grasp this morning. Number one, believed. It says that he believed. Number two, that it was credited to him. And number three, righteousness. First of all, it's not the same to believe in God than to believe God. It's not the same. 
A lot of people believe in God. Just go out there, go to the, to the train station and start asking people, random people. Hey, you, sir, wait a minute. Do you believe in God? Probably 90% of them will say yes, because God sounds like something so huge, right? So huge. It, it would have been different if you say, do you believe in Jesus? All right? But here we learn that it is not about believing in God. Everybody believes in something. A lot of people believe in God in their own way. It is about believing what God has said about you. It's about believing what he did. It's about believing what he did on the cross. It's about believing in Jesus, the answer from heaven to us. So Abraham believed. And the Bible says also that he believed in God's promises. He believed in God's forgiveness and mercy. And he believed in God's covenant. And I put it here in my sermon notes that I will go with you through Genesis. From Genesis 12 to 25. But I don't know if you're, if you're here to pay the price. That will take us a lot of time. Okay? Maybe we will leave around too. That's too much. You can do that at home. Alright? You can take the Bible. Compare Romans 4 with Genesis chapter 12 to 25. And then you will see the life of Abraham. And how, and how he believed in God's promises. Uh, and he also believed in God's forgiveness. And he believed in God's covenant. And maybe some of us, we are struggling with this. We are, we, we are struggling with believing in God's promises. We, we, we are like, I don't know if God wants to do something in my life. I don't know. Because I don't know if I'm that special. I'm here to tell you that you are that special. You are that special. God decided to send Jesus to the cross to die for you. That is special. Maybe you are here and you are like, a, uh, you are like I don't know if, if God really forgive all my sins. I have done so much in my life. There's nothing you can do that will make God to love you less. And nothing you can do that will make God to love you more. He just loves you. Doesn't depend on your performance. Stop pretending. That's it. Just say, I'm quitting this of trying to be a Christian. I'm deciding just to be a Christian. Enjoy my relationship with God. The second word that we need to pay attention is credited. This word in Greek is logisomai. Logisomai. I love, I love Greek because it's closer to Spanish. So, <laughs> logisomai. Um, and metaphorically speaking, it means to pass to one's account to impute. And this word deals with reality. Look, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. If I logisomai or recount that my bank, bank book has $25 in it, well, how much it has? $25. If I'll say, no, it has 30 I will be deceiving myself or trying to deceive others. It has $25. So that's the meaning of this word. This word refers to facts, not suppositions. And this is really interesting. When God credited righteousness to Abraham, that was not a supposition. That was a fact. And forever. When God credited his righteousness to you, that day that you say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, I repent of my sins. Please come and abide in my heart. My friend, from that day on, you are saved. 
and you are made righteous before God. And that is not a supposition. That is not my opinion or your opinion. That's a fact. That's a lohisomai. The third word that we need to pay attention is that Abraham received righteousness. Now, the word righteousness has two implications. One has to do with our relationship with God, that we are saved and we have eternal life and we enjoy this abundant life here on earth. But number two, this word also affects the way in which we see ourselves. Before Christ, how do we used to see ourselves? Do you remember? How do you used to see life? Maybe, maybe for you, life was void and empty, without purpose. But when we come to Christ and we receive his righteousness, we receive this gift, the gift of righteousness. That means that we receive self-worth. We receive significance. And we receive now through this righteousness, we are now, uh, we receive the ground upon which we can face life and the place from which you operate. It is a gift of grace from God. Look at that. The gospel brought to you self-worth, significance, importance, and convictions. That's what we all need. A lot of people trying to get the same thing through money, through a career, through a profession. We just spoke about that. Or through, or through the pleasures of this life. Of this life. But that is just temporary. What it is, what it is eternal is the gift of God, who is Jesus. Yeah? The Lord have given you self-worth, righteousness, significance. Here in chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham as an illustration of a man who found this fantastic gift of righteousness. Now, there was someone else in the Bible that wrote about Abraham. What, that, that person was James. And in James chapter 2, 23, James 2, 23, we read, Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. But then... Those are the same words that Paul quote. But then James adds this. And he was called God's friend. Well, that's great. Why don't you shake the hand of your neighbor and say, Well, I'm God's friend. Nice God's to meet friend. you. I'm God's friend. That's so great. Are you getting this? <laughs> Who is your friend? <laughs> Besides Lucas. Scott. God is my friend. That's so great. When we are going through troubles or sufferings, we can call on him. Because he's my friend. He will not let me down. He's my friend. He will provide. He will, he will protect me. This is acceptance, isn't it? Abraham became God's friend not because he behaved so well. Or because he was a godly man and obeyed God. No. Christianity is not a checklist of things to do in order to get to heaven. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about having a relationship with God through Jesus and enjoy being God's friend. Do you believe that God only wants to have two friends, Enoch and Abraham? Because those are the only ones that are named there on the Bible. No, he doesn't want that. He wants lots of friends. He wants to fill heaven with friends. He wants to celebrate a wedding. And he wants to invite as many friends as he can. Come on, let's come. There's a wedding coming. Yeah. The bride, the Lamb of God. It's going to happen in heaven. Come, friends, come. He's inviting. 
Now, this is what the Holy Spirit put in my heart. The problem is that many are being called, but not many are responding to his call. Bible says, Jesus spoke about this in a, in a, in a parable. There was a king. His son was about to get married. He sent his messengers to invite everybody. And they started inviting, of course, the, let's say, the people that were friends of the king. You know, the people that behave, good, good rules, good education, the best of the best. You know what they say? They say no. Then the king said, go and invite everybody. Those who are at the side of the streets. Those who are drunk. Those who are, for, for the rest of the world, they are worth nothing. Those are the ones I want. And he called them, come, come. And what they say? Yes. You know why they say yes? Because in that invitation, they found self-respect, self-worth, significance, and importance. What they found is righteousness before God. Wow. I'm God's friend. And you too. This is amazing what James adds here. And he was called God's friends. Now, Abraham became God's friend not because he behaved so well. We just say that, right? He became the friend of God because he believed God's promise about the seed. And I know that you have read the Bible. Abraham received a couple of promises. But the, the main promise in Genesis chapter 12, it says, You will be a blessing for all the nations. Because from your offspring, I'm going to do great things. I'm going to bless the nations. And who was the offspring of Abraham? Who was the seed? It was not only Isaac. He was just speaking prophetically about the Messiah who will come. Jesus Christ. Who came from the, from the line of Abraham. He is the seed. And now if you look at this. Now Abraham was saved and received God's righteousness because he believed in Jesus. He believed in the seed. And if you look at the Bible, you will see David in the same position. You will see Noah in the same position. They believe the promise. Now, what is the gospel? Gospel is a promise. Gospel is not a set of rules. It's a promise of a relationship with, a relationship with God where you will learn to live a life differently. A life of self-worth. A life of significance. In Genesis chapter 15... Verse 4 to 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took, me, he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. He was speaking to Abraham. God in the beginning. In the book of Genesis. That's the promise, Jesus. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul tells that God made it clear to Abraham that when he said, So shall your seed be, Galatians 3.16, he was talking about Jesus Christ, who will be the seed of Abraham. So, in order to make this interesting, you, today I invite you to go home, open, the, open one Bible in Genesis, another Bible in Romans 4, another Bible in Galatians 3, and see the facts. See the facts. See how the Bible fulfills itself. The Bible is speaking about the seed, speaking about Jesus Christ that came to this earth 
to make you righteous before God. Now, this revelation is amazing. I don't know. I, when, when I was preparing the sermon this week, I was like, wow. And this is what I, what I wrote. Where are all the promises of God? Where are all the promises of God? We can say, well, they're in the Bible, and that's true. But all the promises of God, just like God showed Abraham, you know where they are? In Jesus. In the seed. Jesus is the one who makes the promises of God effective in our lives. Do you want to see the promises of God being fulfilled in your life? You know? God will do it. How? Through Jesus. What do I need to do, Pastor? Just have a relationship with Jesus. But to have a relationship with Jesus is not just attending, you know, to see a person one time a week for one hour and a half. It's about talking to him every day. It's about hearing him every day. It's about learning more about him. What does he like? What does he doesn't like? What he wants to do in my life? What I can do for him? That's about having a relationship. That's having a relationship with Jesus. Righteousness, my friend, can't be earned. It's a gift. Verse 4 to 5. Now let's buckle up, okay? We have 20 minutes. It says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Here Paul makes use of an analogy to explain how this works. If you work for something, then what you get is never a gift, right? It's what you earn. It's your salary, your compensation. And it must be paid. This is precisely the, what I call the religious paradigm. I come to church, then God needs to bless me. I serve God, then God needs to protect, protect me all the time or give me what I want. It's not how it works. Many Christians fall back into this trap, having once accepted the Christ and believed on Him for their eternal destiny. They spend the rest of their lives trying to gain a sense of God's approval and love, trying to earn His blessings and favor by hard, exhausting, committed, dedicated labor. And my friend, you can never win God's love that way. So today I'm just inviting you to act or just to be a Christian, not just pretend to be a Christian or to or believe in Christianity is just performance. It's more than that. It's a relationship. Verses 6 to 8 says, David, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So this, here we see the blessedness of God's righteousness. The blessedness of God's righteousness. Paul makes use of another illustration from the Old Testament. A very well-known Bible character named David. He says that David expressed the same idea when he spoke of the blessedness of the man to whom God created righteousness. And you can read that in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. David found this gift of self-worth before God. When? when? When he was the great king, when he composed songs, he found his self-worth when he was forgiven. He would see David with his hands covered in blood, the blood of Uriah, Uriah, <laughs> Urias, 
<laughs> whatever the language you speak. He just killed a man. He just committed adultery. And what he did? He repented. He came to God. He spent a week. Literally, the Bible says that fasting and praying. You know how the, the Jews used to fast? And what were their position of humbleness before God? Like this. Literally facing the ground. Because I can even lift my eyes to the heaven. Because I know that I have sin. That's what David did. In that week, his life changed. He received forgiveness and self-worth, acceptance, importance. And he realized it is not about performing. I can, I can miss the mark too. I can sin too. It is about his grace. And what does this blessedness encompass? He just spoke about the blessedness. And that, that was his own experience with God. He says, when our transgressions are forgiven. When our sins are covered. And when we are free of condemnation. Paul points out that Abraham failed to find righteousness by being a devout and moral man. He found it when he believed in Jesus, the seed. The same happened to David. He believed in the forgiveness of God. Now, would you like to be a friend of God? Yeah? Would you like to be a man or woman after God's own heart, like David was? This is what we need to do. Stop the performance and put your full trust in Jesus. Live life for Jesus. And you will not get performance. You will get fruits. Which is different. Verse 9 to 10. Says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Speaks Paul. It was not after, but before. When we read about Abraham's personal experience with God, we can see that his faith was credited to him as righteousness, not after his circumcision, but long before, 14 years before. Because he was circumcised, circumcised sorry, 14 years after he received the promise. Abraham was righteous before God, before he was circumcised. Now, in this case, the circumcision of back then could be the same of of um, uh, our baptism nowadays in the time of the church. What is baptism? What is circumcision? It's just a sign, a seal, a proof that something happened in your life. But does baptism uh, save? No. Baptism is just a proof that you have been saved before through your faith in Christ Jesus. The same with circumcision. Now, verses 11 to 12 says, And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. It's important. 
to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the question is, why was Abraham made righteous? It's, it's clear here. Righteousness was given to Abraham not only for his own personal purposes, but to make him a father of many more yet to come. Today, maybe you and me, we are not like physical descendants of Abraham, but we are spiritual descendants of him because we have followed his steps. He decided to put his faith in Jesus and we have done the same. He's our model of faith. Now, let's go to the second part of the sermon. Are you ready? Okay. Amen? You excited? You want me to conclude here? All right. <laughs> this is the title. The faith that really works. And let me tell you that for Pastor Roy and myself, this has been really challenging. Going through one whole chapter of the Bible in 40 minutes. That's, well, I'm sorry for the 50 minutes sometimes. <laughs> an hour sometimes. It's not going to be today. I hope so. Verse 11 to 12, it says, verse 13 to 25, I'm sorry. It says, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he will be heir of the, world, of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are, are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse, let's read till there, till verse, 20, uh, till verse 15. We need to understand the relationship between law and grace. Between law and faith. There's a relationship there. If you really want to know what faith is, well, you have to see it in action, right? Show me your faith. Show me the gospel. That is why Paul in this chapter brings in Abraham, the man of faith. Here Paul tells us that faith is not trying to obey and fulfill some kind of law. It's not about a checklist. It is not doing your best to try to live up to a certain standard. No. First, notice that Abraham received the gift of promise of righteousness... 14 years before his, he was circumcised and 430 years before the law was given to Moses. That's a long time, eh? 430 years before. So it's not a matter of law, the law saving me. It's a matter of believing on, on the promise of God in the seed that was about to come, Jesus Christ. Second, the law, Paul says, renders the promise worthless. This is what the scriptures tells us. What does the law require of men? Basically, it requires something that he cannot do. And I'm going to show you this with an example. I need a volunteer. Someone who is really strong, really good at sports, athletic. Um, you know? Who's going to come? Who's going to come? Come on. Someone that can jump really high. Come on. Brady? All right, Brady, come. You're tall. Come. All right, stand right here. Okay, Brady, are you athletic, you will say? Sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Brady, I want you to touch the roof. Jump as high as you can and touch the roof. Are you ready to see this? It's going to be great, eh? Oh! <laughs> you, you guys want... want Want to give him another chance? One more chance? Yeah. yeah? One more chance. Let's see. All the way. No, that's not a roof. Roof, roof. No? You can't? 
No. Why, why you can't? If you're athletic and everything. It's too high. It's too high? Maybe from up there. Not even there, I think. I don't think there is. It's too high? It, 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 is it possible? I don't think so. Okay, it's impossible. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I've seen this proof. Now then, don't, <laughs> don't try to find a shortcut or something for him, all right? Thank you, Brady. See, this is the, our relationship with the law. <laughs> the law is the roof. <laughs> Try to jump as high as you can. You <laughs> spend all your life trying to fulfill all the law. And let me know if, if you can do it. We can't. Simply we can't. It's impossible. Impossible. Now, then how do we touch the, the roof? You know what, what God did? He bring the roof down. <laughs> he brought the roof down for us so we can touch it. <laughs> How? The only name. The name that is above all names. He who is our beloved Lord and Savior. The only name in which we can be saved. Jesus. Jesus. This is what Paul is trying to explain to us through Abraham. It's, it, Abraham couldn't do it in, in, on his own through his performance. It was just faith on Jesus, the seed. Because the law renders the promise worthless. If we try, we can't. The law also brings wrath. It says there in Romans. It actually subjects you to punishment if you don't make it. And wrath, let me explain what wrath of God is. What is the wrath of God? You know the wrath of God, it's God's removal of all his divine protection. And that's what we should fear the most. Not being protected by our God. God's removal of his protection, that's wrath. And that could happen now if we don't come to him and we repent and we decide, well, I'm going to stop trying to touch the roof on my own. I'm just going to believe that you have brought the roof down for me. Because if I don't do that, if I don't take that step of faith, I'm under God's wrath. I'm without his divine protection. What about my children? Are they under God's divine protection? How, how am I? Am I doing as the, the priest of my house? What about my wife? What about my church, my community? We all need to grab hold to Jesus. You know? So this is what Paul explaining here. Verses 16 to 17. Therefore, the, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. That God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. We need to understand what faith does. Which is... Went through what faith is. Now we need to understand what faith does. If law cannot achieve righteousness, what 
does faith do? Well, the promise of righteousness comes only by faith. You can't earn it, you simply receive it. What works could not do, faith does. Also, there's a special relationship between faith and grace. Faith means trusting another, not in one's own efforts. I, need, I decide to trust in Jesus, not my own effort. Faith, therefore, corresponds exactly to grace, which involves trusting God's gift of unmerited favor. And I love just simple things, so I made, I don't know if it's there, but I made an equation that is faith plus grace equals salvation. You want to know how to be saved? Put your faith on, on Jesus, receive God's grace, okay? Faith, your faith plus His grace means you are saved. That simple. Romans 4, 18 to 20. Against all hope, says there, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. This is crazy. Against all hope, he has hope. This is how Christianity works. This is how the world is. This is how we are. There's no hope out there. There's hope inside. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver to unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And now there are three things that I want you to learn this morning in this Bible study. Number one, from these verses, we learn the object of faith. The object of faith. Number two, we will learn the obstacles to our faith. The obstacles that we need to face when we try to exercise our faith. And number three, the objectives of faith. The first one, the object of, of our faith. What is the object of our faith? Is God himself. He's the object. Because the Bible says that Abraham believed God. It doesn't say how big was his faith, how low was his faith. It doesn't depend on the measure. It depends on who are you putting your faith on. What is your trust? Who are you believing? That's the question. He decided to put his faith on God, so he believed God. He made God the object of his faith. Sometimes in, sometimes in Christianity we have a problem. We started to worship. worship. So if the wor I don't like the worship, then I don't worship. You are forgetting who is the object of the worship. It's not you. It is God. I don't like the preaching. You are forgetting who is the object of the preaching. I'm, I'm not preaching the sermon to you. I'm preaching the sermon to heaven because it's also an act of offering to heaven. Because I'm proclaiming his name. It's about him, not about us. He's the object of our faith. So he may be glorified in everything we do, even preaching a sermon. That, of course, will impact our lives and will transform our lives because it's the Word of God. We are never the same after, after having an encounter with the Word of God. But it's an act of offering. The same with the worship, everything. But in Christianity, we tend to worship, worship. We tend to idolize icons or, or preachers or whatever. 
when the object of everything is God. God. Abraham believed God. The quality of your faith depends upon the object in which that faith has placed its truth. Truth. Now, the, the amount of faith you have has nothing to do with it. It's about your trust. Where is your trust? Not the amount. Some people say, well, I, I don't have enough faith. My question is, okay, you don't have enough faith. All right. Where are you putting your little faith? Jesus said, if you had the faith as tiny as a grain of mustard. Have you seen one? This big. But you have to put that tiny little piece of faith on God. And then you will see results. It's not a question of how little, how big your faith is. It's a question of how big your God is. And what kind of God we have. Well, look at this. Paul tells us that God is the God who gives life to death. That's amazing. You know, the, the, the death seems to be for everybody, seems to be like the final state. The, the end, finito. El fin. But the Bible shows us that God has overcome death because Jesus, Jesus Christ was resurrected. Because of the resurrection of Christ. Maybe your marriage is, you, you feel like your marriage is dead. No, my friend. Put your faith on God. And your marriage will come alive. Maybe your, I don't know, your, your career. You feel like your career is dead. It's now dead. Anything is dead on God. Where God is, there's life. There's now death. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Then you have the same power. That work in Jesus and brought him back to life is the same power that is working in you. In every area of your life. And then Paul says that God also is who calls things that are not as though they were. This in theology we call it ex nihilo. It's when God does uh, do something, you know, that was never before. He just brings it into existence out, out of nothing. God doesn't need anything from us to do a miracle. God doesn't need anything from us to do what he wants to do. He will do it no matter what. That's part of his attributes. That's why he is God. He doesn't depend... Of you or me, even more. He doesn't depend of, I don't know, of, of, of a building, anything. He doesn't depend on anything. He depends only on himself. And even more, if you, if you are like, well, he needs my faith. Yeah, you know who produced that faith? God himself. John 16 says that the Holy Spirit is who convinces us of our sins, justice, and judgment. So the faith that we claim to have, it is not our it's a gift from God. So in everything, he will be glorified. In everything. Now, let us look at the obstacles to faith. Whenever you have faith or are called to exercise faith, there are obstacles, right? Some people are like, well, I don't know. Before Christ, I felt like I have less problems. <laughs> well, there are obstacles to faith. And we see that in Abraham. Abraham teaches us this. In verse 18, it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And then in, in verse 20, it says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. 
This shows us that there are two obstacles to faith. Number one, hopeless circumstances. And number two, staggering possibilities. What is your hopeless circumstance right now this morning? What is it? What is it? What is going on inside your head? God knows. What is that hopeless circumstance and situation that you are like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to face this situation. I don't know, God, how are you going to do it? But I need to pay my mortgage. I need to pay my debt. I need a job. I need a miracle in my family. I need a healing. How are you going to do it? The Bible says that Abraham had that same situation. What was his hopeless circumstance? Well, he saw his hundred years old body and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And then he heard God saying, you will have a child. That's impossible, we'll say. Well, God is into that business. What did Abraham do and what we can do? A, he faced his reality no matter how cruel it was. And you, you and me, we need to do the same. Just face the reality. Stop trying to escape from it. Face it. This is my reality. My marriage is broken. Just face it. With God. Then accept your, hope, your hopelessness. Surrender yourself and your situation to God. And confess your dependence on Him. That's why we come to church to receive prayer. And at the end of the service, I want to pause here in the sermon. And I, want to, I want to tell you this. If you need prayer, I will stay right here and I will pray with you. I will not go there to shake some hands. I will stay here if there's someone that is hurt and need prayer today. Because maybe it's facing this hopeless circumstance. And maybe there's someone else that would like to pray with me. Come. We're going to pray at the end of the service. Abraham remembered that he had a God who raised, it, who raised the dead. And who calls into existence the things that do not exist. And this is what he practiced. I'm going to show you this. The circle of faith, I call it. Number one, believe in God's promises. Stop looking at the problem. Start looking at the promise. Believe the promise. A lot of times we see this big mountain, this problem, this situation. We're just looking at it and we are like just, we are so bad. We are so sorry. I don't know what to do. And just licking our own wounds. Look at the promise. Number two, strengthen your faith. Exercise your faith and it will grow. Believe and obey. Depend on God. Get your Bible and open your Bible and start reading it because the Bible says that by hearing of the Word of God comes faith. Read it. Let the Bible be in your mind, your soul, your spirit. Number three, give glory to God. Praise God. I know that all of us probably we have a worship song. Uh, you know, a favorite worship song. Do you? Show hands. Who has a favorite worship song? That song that you know that in hard times you go and you... Turn the radio on, put it on Spotify or YouTube, whatever, and, you know, give it a listen, right? We all do. Okay, in the worst storm of your life, just praise God. Praise. Praise is the solution. And number four, be fully persuaded that God has the power to do what He had promised to you. Finally, in verses 20 to 22, we find the two objectives of faith. What are the objectives of our faith. It says. We find the first one in verse 20. That says but was, that Abraham was strengthened in his faith. And gave glory to God. When our faith grows. Our faith glorifies God. 
Because it is not about performance, it's about my faith. My faith glorifies God. And secondly, when we find that when 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 we come before God and we uh, surrender ourselves before Him, in verse 21 we we learn and we find that faith grounds us on the truth, as it did Abraham. The Bible says that he was fully persuaded. This is my conclusion, verse 23 to 25. The words it was. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, says Paul, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was Jesus. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Paul is saying here that God did, didn't write these words just for Abraham. It was not just for him. It was also for us. For us today. You know what? Who can have the faith of Abraham? Who can have the faith of Abraham here? Who is worthy of the faith of Abraham? Show hands. You know the answer? Anyone. Anyone, because we just learn it doesn't depend on our performance. Well, you have theological training. What? That doesn't matter before God. Well, you're a pastor. doesn't matter before God. Anyone. Anyone can have this kind of faith. And even more. Starting today, I declare in the name of Jesus that you will see this faith grow in your own life and experience with God. You will see miracles happening. You will see things that were dead coming, coming back to life. Because it doesn't depend on our performance, it depends on our faith. And starting today, we're, we, we, we're going to walk in this faith, the faith of Abraham. Anyone can exercise the faith of Abraham. If they really want to. Paul finishes this amazing chapter glorifying Jesus. And it says that Jesus. Jesus. When he died on the cross. When he died for our sins. He died there for our redemption. And then Jesus was raised to life for our justification. So we can, be, we can receive this righteousness before God. Because he's alive. This is what Martin Luther used to say. This is called the great exchange. The great exchange. On the cross, our sins became Jesus' sins. And on the cross, his innocence, his righteousness became ours. How God sees, sees you. He sees you as a righteous person. Innocent. Because you are being covered by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. So I invite the worship team to come to the, to the altar. They're going to they're gonna lead us in a worship song. And I invite you to close your eyes and have a moment with God. A personal one-on-one -on -one moment with the Lord. As we, clo as we close here this service, take these minutes just to meditate on the Word. Let the, the word penetrate your heart and spirit.